Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Will East in for Rhino today. We're in the Element Wealth Studio. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here, Will. A little cold, a little cool when we walked out this morning. Man, I played golf Saturday in shorts. <laughs> but not yesterday. It was a bit uh, a bit breezy and chilly, and when that wind is blowing out of the north, it makes it particularly cold. Y- yesterday was a was a little bit cooler, but this morning I walked outside. There was a little bit of what well, looked like frost on the grass. Very uh, nice. It was what twenty eight degrees when I woke up this morning. It was it was pretty chilly outside. Yeah. But it's pretty nice. I think it's going to warm up to the mid-50s today. We were spared of this super severe weather that tracked through our neighbor to the north, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, including some fatalities up in the Clarksville area, I believe, of Tennessee, specifically. And uh, we, we didn't get that kind of weather. But it was predicted that it, we might. And I was watching it, and those lines kind of came through, but nothing t- – too terribly bad. A lot of hail. A lot of folks were sharing on social media uh, photos of big time hail falling Softball down. Ball size. Some said to, said baseball size hail. I mean that's scary if you've ever been, especially if you're in a car. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I have been, and it ain't no fun. Mm-mm. I can tell you that. Um, not far from here, I remember being in my office, looking outside my building. Uh, about half a mile from where we're sitting right now, and storms came through a few times with that hail. Man, that is that's scary stuff. You worry about the damage done, especially, and uh, our our building, the front of it was finished in. I think it's called Drive It. It's what it's called, and it's it's a bit brittle. It can be. Mm-hmm. It can't really take impact from hail. Of course, it's on the side, not the top. But a lot of times, that stuff comes in horizontally when the wind is blowing an earthquake uh, in higher ed shall we say over the weekend of course last week most folks know that three university presidents were summoned to the hill for questioning about anti-semitism behavior on their respective campuses the presidents of harvard mit and the University of Pennsylvania. Well, it didn't take long. 
the University of Pennsylvania president and the board chairman resign after the firestorm. And it was due to their questions or answers to the questions posed by Congress about anti-Semitism on their campus. University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill ultimately resigned yesterday. Too much blowback. And bottom line is, what she said was that when asked the question, do these anti-Semitism activities, language, other behavior, actions, do they violate the code of conduct? Are they considered... Someone calling for genocide. For genocide, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are, Are they considered harassment? Again, do they violate the university's code of conduct? And you couldn't get a straight... Yes, answer. It was, well, it depends on the context. and it, her, her, her answer was essentially they'd have to commit the genocide, and then, yes, it would be harassment. Yeah, something to the effect, <laughs> well, yeah, if they committed it against individuals. And then uh, Representative Elise Stefanik from New York, who was doing the questioning, said, well, isn't that what they're calling for? They're calling for this against individuals in this group. Uh, essentially, their extermination. Does that not violate the code of conduct? And, of course, what any clear-thinking person knows is if such statements were made and and the the other imagery, symbology, the chants, the protests, etc., even some direct harassment of uh, Jewish students, if any of that was targeted at a different demographic that they deemed oppress, and which they believe represents a bigotry and just violates and conflicts with their worldview with respect to language and such activities, you know, all hell would break loose. Use the wrong pronoun. They'd hang you in the square. But because these statements, these protests, these other actions... We're targeting the Jewish people in Israel? No, it's okay. Context. It's free speech. And so I I saw a report of some of what occurred at the University of Pennsylvania on September the 13th. And, And by the way, this is prior to the October 7th Hamas attacks, unprovoked attacks. A swastika was spray painted at the Stuart Weitzman School of Design. The Penn Hillel building was vandalized. That also named after uh, a Jewish person. Shabbat at Penn Religious Structure, vandalized. Israeli hostage posters torn down. This was on October 16th after the attack. I remember seeing video of such. And then also after the attack, building next to the Jewish fraternity vandalized with anti-Semitic graffiti. November the 6th, Penn staff receives anti-Semitic emails threatening violence against Jewish community. November the 8th, pro-Palestinian messages projected onto campus buildings. Penn calls them anti-Semitic and vile, but they took no action. So... 
there's cultural rot embedded, unfortunately, in America's university environment. It's uh, it's despicable. I tell you, Fareed Zakira from CNN. I think he's still over there on CNN. Yes. And I may have mispronounced his. I've seen him before. I, I can't remember. Is it Zakaria or Zakaria? Uh, I think it's Zakaria. I haven't watched mistaken. him in years. He, I think he still has a Sunday show on CNN. Yeah, that's right. And he made kind of an, an interesting comment, which I thought was spot on. He said America's top universities should abandon their long misadventure into politics retrain their gaze on their core strengths, and rebuild their reputations as centers of research and learning. I thought that was perfect. And you know who shared that was Harvard grad Bill Ackman. He's the one who said, I'm pulling my money (laughs) from Harvard because of the testimony by Harvard President Claudine Gay. Now, also over the weekend, vehicles were seen, these box trucks with, that carry the big digital signs on the side, like, uh-huh. like, like mobile billboards, if you will. Professionally done imagery calling for President Claudine Gay of Harvard to step down. And those were moving about the campus. But in the meantime, faculty members over Harvard, over 500, support the president in a letter to the board after the hearing. And they are imploring the board to retain Ms. Gay as the president, while many others are calling for her to step down. So this is crazy that all this to me... Yeah. is consuming this august institution that is supposed to be focused on research and education and doing good for society and should honestly be setting the example for morality. Well, I, and here's the thing about now former president of UPenn, Liz uh, McGill. McGill. Yeah. Uh, if you think, well, she's out there in the, the bread line now, in the unemployment line, well, no, she didn't lose her job. She lost a position, not her job. She's still employed by UPenn. She's still going to be a professor. Of law. Yes. With tenure on top of that. That's how insane this place is. And by the way, she didn't just embarrass the university. She also cost them a $100 million, $100 million do- donation. From one of their uh, alumni. Now imagine if you were at your job and you cost your company or organization $100 million. What do you think would happen to you? You're gone. I mean, you fail. It's easy as that. We've got Attorney General Lynn Fitch on middays at 11.05. Little Steely Dan bumping us out of this segment. Once again, we're in the Element Well studio just getting started. Stay with us. When you get home, break it on, lose that number. Break it on, lose that number. Break it on, lose that number. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. It's a Monday. We are in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The market's mixed picture today. The Dow presently up 82. I've seen it over 100 earlier. Uh, the NASDAQ is trending downward. Apple and Microsoft both are down a fair amount today. I think that's largely because the 10-year, the yield on the 10-year is inching upward. But I did hear an analyst this morning predict that, ready for this, Microsoft? He thinks that this time next year is around 500 bucks a share. Now, why is that Kind of important because right now it's trading at three eighty-eight, sixty-eight. Pardon me, three sixty-eight. He actually said that he thinks within two years it could go to seven hundred dollars a share. Seven hundred—it's almost double, doubling of a stock that's been around for decades that is trading at three sixty-six already at a very high. Price-to-earnings ratio, that's actually unthinkable. Um, But it's largely rooted in this view that Microsoft is going to fare very well in this artificial intelligence revolution. Their new product, Copilot, that is integrated into their office suite. And, of course, it's got a huge user base of Microsoft Office, Office 365, the cloud-based version of those popular office automation tools, you start adding another 30 bucks a month for Copilot. And remember, most users are corporate users, not individual users. You look at the corporate landscape and how corporate America is embracing and honestly racing with fury to implement artificial intelligence throughout their operations. So, and, and this is just one of those ways to achieve that. All the popular applications used by corporate America are busy integrating and adding on, bolting on artificial intelligence capability. Salesforce.com, widely used product. SAP for um, ERP, Oracle as well. Um, EHR products such as Epic that uh, most of the hospitals use is a very popular one. These are... These are all companies which are adding artificial intelligence into their their tool set, into their suites. And, of course, they're going to charge for that, and companies will gladly pay for that because they do believe that it to be very valuable. So it's just – we're just getting started. It's exciting to me. I look at this as kind of where the Internet was in about 1995 when it was being built out. You had to get the infrastructure part in place first to connect everybody up. And uh, you just saw this explosion and revolution of of tools on the infrastructure side and then software and tools to develop web applications, web content. And then all of a sudden, Apple comes out with a smartphone. And that really put it on the map, if you will, and was just rocket fuel for that revolution. That's kind of where we are now. We're sort of in like, like the early to mid-90s, 
compared to where the Internet was back then. I believe that's where we are with respect to the artificial intelligence uh, revolution. And again, it's, um, it's technology that could be used in a nefarious way. And so it, there are risks associated with it. But I do think that the benefits outweigh the risks. Let's be honest. The Internet, as a communications vehicle, it's used widely uh, for malfeasance as well. Terrorists, for example. All kinds of crime. you got the dark web uh, as an example. So, you know, it's to throw the baby out with the bathwater scenario. It, I think we just have to be responsible. There probably needs to be some reasonable... Regulation. I get worried that the government steps in and <clears throat> goes overboard, goes too far, and it impedes innovation. It's always a risk. Always a risk, no doubt about it. But uh, I think it could be compared to nuclear fission. There are societal benefits in terms of generating nuclear power, but there are also Harmful uses of nuclear power as well. We just have to live with it. And I think that's kind of where we are. But it's exciting stuff, in my view. And there's not a company out there that doesn't have some artificial intelligence initiative. I shared last week, Will, that Unilever, a consumer products company. Soaps. and Yeah, you wouldn't think. Yeah. But um, when, I, when I dug into the, uh, the report, even further, it's it's exactly what I said. It's they use Salesforce, Honda, another one, huge AI. The, the Honda Motor. They're considered a motor company because they make so many different motorized products, not just vehicles, of course, but lots of other things as well. But unbelievable artificial uh, intelligence initiatives going on. So that's two major household name companies, but it's all of them, all the big accounting firms. Busy implementing AI in their uh, their companies, their firms, but they're also offering services, wraparound services. My old employer, Accenture, gigantic AI practice, and and they're the ones that are uh, providing consulting services to major corporations across the globe in terms of using AI to in, increase efficiencies, enhance customer service. Improve productivity. It's all about being competitive and boosting the bottom line. Speaking of the bottom line, old Robert Reich. <laughs> he says America's billionaires are now worth a record $5.2 trillion. It's not radical to tax the rich. It's radical to allow this level of extreme wealth concentration to continue. These guys just hate success. They hate profit. They hate capitalism. They loathe the idea that one might create value for society, one or a company, and they are rewarded thusly for it. They can't stand that. So just some, some mathematical context, since we're all about contextualization. We learned that last week with the presidents of these elite they're really not elite universities they're just expensive is what they are yeah uh, we learned last week that everything has to be contextualized even genocide has to be contextualized which is nonsense i say to that before i get back to reich here why have a creed why have a code of conduct 
which every university has. Why have one if you apply it selectively? If it's views and expressions with which you disagree or conflict with your view, well then, yeah, let's throw the, the conduct, code of conduct at them. But if that's reversed and it's views with which you agree or that you support, maybe you have a, in this case it appears, a lot of these professors at Harvard and so forth are, are more about being pro-Hamas and Palestine than they are finding that Israel has its the right to protect itself and that what was done to it by Hamas terrorists was heinous and unthinkable and immoral. It's just incredible how they selectively apply this. This is a problem in our country. But to Robert Reich's $5.2 trillion, he's right. The billionaires, by the way, they're about 700 in the country. So let's just say we confiscated 100% of their wealth. That still falls short of one year's spending by the federal government by about a trillion dollars. That's if you confiscate it all. And if you did such, that means all of these billionaires would have to liquidate their holdings, meaning sell all their stock, all their equity, because most of their equity is not liquid. Their, their wealth is not liquid. So if they go sell it, well, then these companies... That, whose stock they own, they fail. And then everybody that's got investments such as in their 401k plans, well, they crater. I mean, it's just the, this is the stuff that Reich doesn't seem to appreciate or acknowledge. I don't know if he understands it, and he just doesn't want to tell the average person this, who follows him, who's, who supports all of his crazy radical rhetoric. Uh, or if he just doesn't know, I'm not sure. He also said something about Walmart. You got to hear this. On the other side of the break here, we're in the Element Well studio today. Stay with us. Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. So the statement, I thought, issued by Georgetown University was was the appropriate language to use 
with respect to a university's position, their stance on anti-Semitism and, and all of the anti-Semitic behavior on college campuses that we've witnessed since October the 7th. I'll read it to you. I thought this was perfect. Anti-Semitic language and imagery have no place on our campus, and we strongly condemn such acts of hate. We will not tolerate behavior that imperils our ability to serve students and that undermines our school's commitment to open and respectful engagement in the face of the world's most pressing challenges. We strongly condemn anti-Semitism in all its forms, and we stand together with our community members of all racial, ethnic, and religious faiths. I mean, it's just simple, but to the point. And I think totally appropriate. <clears throat> but these three presidents last week, they couldn't say such. They had to have known, Gerard, that they were going to be asked questions like this. And they had to have somewhat prepared, don't you think? It wasn't like they got called up there and, you know, they were going to be asked about something they had no idea I believe they felt this was their opportunity to shine, to show, look at us. We're big-time free speech absolutionists. I really think that's it, that that's what they felt like. They would, they would come off as being proponents, champions of free speech. And it's true. In this country, you can say stuff that is objectionable, that's awful. You absolutely can. But when you start defacing buildings and you start calling for genocide and you've got professors that are leading these chants, these protests, employees, you absolutely have the right as the employer, that being the university, to mandate as part of the contract that an employee and students adhere to the code of conduct. Now, if you're saying that calling for genocide of a certain group of people, in this case, those of a certain religious faith, doesn't violate your code of conduct, you got problems. That's not a free speech matter, in my view. You can you can dictate that on the university environment, especially a private school like this. You can get on a corner somewhere, some street in some city, and say it all you want to and be free of consequences. But when you're a part of an organization, right? That's right. If, if you want to make it a condition of employment, for example. Now, I don't think it's hard for a clear-thinking person, a reasonable person to say, yeah, that's immoral, what they're saying. That violates any reasonable standards that one might find in a code of conduct. You know, at our alma mater, Ole Miss, there's something called the Ole Miss Creed. It's, you find this at virtually every university. And this would be in violation of the Creed uh, easily if you look at it. It's Civil and respectful discourse. I believe in civil and respectful discourse. I believe is one of the elements, if I'm not mistaken, of the creed. Well, that's reasonable. But somehow we've we've gotten off the rail on this, and uh, we're allowing this sort of stuff. But I say it's only allowed 
depending on the group being targeted. And in this case, they found it acceptable to target Jewish people. As I pointed out, some of those incidents, defacing buildings and painting SWAT stickers, that all happened before the Hamas attacks. Yeah, This has been going on for a long time. This is nothing new. Unfortunately, the Wall Street Journal had a great the editorial board article. <laughs> and this is the title of the article. This is all you need to know. The Ivy League mask falls. Right? It, yeah. it exposed this kind of crap that's been going on. This is what's being taught. There's also this um, a president, Claudine Gay, Harvard president, who is, is being asked to step down by a number of alumni and others. The Congress, those who question her, Elise Stefanik, expressly said, you should step down. I just told you that we got 500 faculty members coming to her side in support of retaining her um, as the president. I saw a report that indicates she engaged in plagiarism, blatant plagiarism, in her thesis. These were diversity hires. Let's just be honest. These people were not hired because they were the most qualified to serve in those roles as presidents of those elite universities. Not whatsoever. I don't believe it. I totally believe it was... And I believe the reason the faculty is showing such strong support at Harvard, I I really do believe it's because of her race and her gender, more than anything. I I just think that's in vogue, so to speak. It's like this this symbol of of virtuosity. I'm, I'm better than you. I'm more virtuous than you. And, uh, I, this, this whole DEI movement that has engulfed America's college campuses and to a great extent our private companies, I, I think is what's at play here. I, I really do. And that's, some people may say, well, that's just a racist comment. No, it's not. I believe in merit. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. I don't really care what their race, gender, sexual orientation is, etc. Best person for the job. I, somehow, that that's that's considered evil these days. That's crazy, crazy, unbelievable. I got to tell you about old Robert Wright. He takes a shot at Walmart. He's he's bad in math. Walmart hiked prices on its great value food brands. The company net income has spiked by 93% to $10.5 billion in nine months. Walmart rewarded shareholders with $5.9 billion in buybacks and dividends. Corporations are still using inflation as cover to price gouge you. They, like, just woke up the last two years and realized, right, Robert, that they can charge whatever they want. This is so misguided. So a little math for you. $10.5 billion Walmart, total profit. You know what their sales are? $500 billion. Do the math. That's 2%. 2%. 
So what has inflation been tracking at since Joe Biden's been in office? Most experts say 20. So they made 10 billion on sales of 500 billion. I got to tell you, that sucks. That's terrible. Terrible. Again, Apple, the world's most profitable company, sales of 400 billion, 100 billion less than Walmart. You know what their profit is? 119. They made 12 times more than Walmart. Why doesn't Robert Wright go after Apple? They're charging too much for those phones. He's never done that analysis. Yeah. By the way, this data, I went and looked it up straight from their SEC filings, from their official reports. I'm looking at it. The Walmart official uh, uh, annual report. Not anything that I went and made up. Straight from that. Looking at it right now. Well, inflation's everywhere. I mean, they can't just blame it on corporate greed. I talked to somebody who was actually out of the country, um, who just got back in country a, a couple weeks ago, and they told me that there are things that are more expensive over there. Um, th- one, one, he cited one specific product. He said it's up thirty percent according to his calculation. Well, everybody sees it and feels it. And so, okay, let's take Walmart's $10 billion of profit. Let's just make them unprofitable, which is what Reich would like. It means 2%. 2%. Well, I'm not saying that's nothing, but it's in the scheme of things, it's nothing when you consider that they're the biggest grocer in the world. Walmart is. Mm-hmm. Price of groceries? If it were only 2% over the last three years, I think we'd all say, okay, well, that's just kind of normal yeah. price inflation, right? So that's Actually, that is considered the natural rate. But no, that's not it. Right? He says this kind of stuff. People eat it up, don't have a clue, and he gets away with it. We're coming right back with the final segment, Hour 1, and then Attorney General Lynn Fitch at 11.05. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Well, let's see. Tomorrow I'm going to be live. At Mississippi Blood Services off Lakeland Boulevard in Flowood, help Mississippi Blood Services celebrate the season of giving. Give blood now through December 16th to receive a holiday T-shirt sponsored by Priority One Bank. The best gift this holiday can be can't be found can't be found under a tree. Donate today. And then the Sports Talk guys, they're going to be live on Wednesday at Stones Jewelry in Tupelo. Stones Jewelry will have magical Christmas savings throughout the entire store. Stones will also celebrate Sanctuary Hospice. Make a donation to Sanctuary Hospice, and you'll be registered to win prizes each hour. They're going to be right there at the, uh, if you're a bit of Tupelo, right there at the... Crosstown, where the train comes through every day at lunchtime and promptly stops. If you're sleeping, it'll wake you up. Yes. I guarantee you. It will stop in the in middle of the lunch. I've, had it, I've been caught in it many times. It stops in the middle of lunch. I, the guy will get off the train. 
He will walk over to the Burger King. He will get his little meal, and then he'll hop back on the train, and then traffic can start flowing again. There you go. Sharon and Brandon on the ceasefire text line, that's 601-879-4395, says, if the universities would adopt be kind and treat others as you want to be treated, then all of this would be a null issue. It's absolutely so so true, but unfortunately, the uh, key tenet of Marxism is to divide people into these tidy little groups as they see fit and to pit them against one another. That's the idea. And I know it sounds a little radical, maybe far-fetched, that that the uh, the practice of Marxism is alive and well, the ideology on America's college campuses, but many of those professors will freely admit they support those ideals. Yeah. Capitalism and, is evil. Yeah. And they, of course, indoctrinate, attempt to brainwash impressionable young students to their worldview. That's what's wrong. There's just no counter. There's no balance. Reese and Clarksdale says the Harvard president identifies as gay. I didn't know that, hadn't seen that, Reese. It doesn't surprise me, and i got to believe that that additional personal profile figured in positively into her being hired for the role. That's unfortunate, but that's uh, the way we roll these days. Plagiarism worked for Biden, says Walt on the ceasefire text line. It it certainly does appear that it was at play with respect to President Claudine Gay's dissertation, that much of what she wrote and uh, discussed was plagiarized, fabricated some of it as well. It was in 2018 when a whistleblower attached, uh, pardon me, approached Harvard with a report that showed that much of the data that she used was falsified, was just fabricated, made up. Hmm. Claudine Gay also, she had the Harvard Committee on Professional Contact. She wrote a dismissal letter with a justification that it's not appropriate for her unit to investigate any other such reports of plagiarism and falsified data sets. So it's just unbelievable. So there's definitely a problem there with respect to Ms. Gay and her, her past that I, I guess either got overlooked or just was not considered in her hiring. Really interesting times, that is for sure. But I say again, the statement by Dean Joel Hellman of the Wash School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University, I think, was was perfect with respect to anti-Semitism on their campus. Maybe they're afraid of being sued because it would surely happen on the ceasefire text line. I mean, that's always the case. You you're always have that risk, but, you know, I would say that Someone in that at that level has got to stand by principle, no matter what, and the truth, and and what's moral. Let's just be honest. It's it's immoral to allow those kinds of of activities on your campus. That sort of behavior. 
whether it's chanting from the river to the sea and calling for genocide, just immoral. Should not be allowed to happen. I can't see how that does not violate a code of conduct. How it doesn't rise to that level such that you should step in. That's that's not just free speech. I think that's stretching it. And again, these are private institutions, and they have the right to establish a code of conduct, and, but it should be applied consistently. I think that's the main problem here. We're stepping aside for a break. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. When we return, it's Mississippi's Attorney General, Lynn Fitch. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio, and we welcome to the program now Lynn Fitch, Mississippi's Attorney General. General, thanks for coming in. Good to see you. Great to see you. Good morning. Glad to be here, as always, and Merry Christmas to all the listeners. Absolutely. So uh, give us an update. Uh, what's been going on at the Attorney General's office of late since the last time we spoke? Well, certainly there's a lot happening in the Attorney General's office because certainly there are so many issues that we are engaged in on behalf of all Mississippians. But a lot to talk about. Um, you know, we're getting ready for the legislature to come in. Mm-hmm. And so that's exciting because, again, we had such a great, um, successful uh, package of legislation that was passed last year. We're looking to work with the legislature again this year. Um, I'm very grateful to the leadership of uh Lieutenant Governor Hoseman and now Speaker uh, White and all the members of the Senate and the House because, again, they embrace these different parts of the legislation that are so impactful um, for all Mississippians. And so I'm very much appreciative of that and looking forward to getting some more uh, legislation passed that protects Mississippians, that helps us on so many different uh, areas that need that extra um added strength for us to pursue predators, to pursue social media platforms, and the list goes on. And then there's so many other areas, Gerard, that are compassionate areas that were passed last year that we need to continue to enhance with some additional legislation. So it's uh, certainly uh, incredible to witness, uh, General, the, uh, the number crossing over the border into our country, particularly our border to the south. Question is, does the state of Mississippi have any any matter here that it might need to pursue with respect to so many crossing over, landing in Mississippi, costing Mississippians money? I had a physician on the program last week that said that uh, they have illegals that are receiving uh, dialysis treatments and actually taking up a chair is the way she described it. 
um, and and that in some cases that may consume resources that otherwise would be available to Mississippi citizens. So is this a matter that the attorney general or generals across the state might think about pursuing? Absolutely. Look, it's affecting our state. It's affecting our country. Uh, the cartels are running the border. People are freely coming across. They're in all of our respective states. And yes, they are taking up our resources that should be going to our Mississippians. And with this come so many other horrific things, Gerardo. You think about the cartels are running it. So that means they're also running the drugs. Yeah. Uh, the drugs are coming across the border. They're here in the state of Mississippi in 48 hours. Uh, we have to continue to be supportive of our law enforcement to provide them all the resources uh, to help in every angle that we can in our communities because this is an epidemic and again last year alone DEA confiscated illegally these drugs that were coming across to the tune of 58 million counterfeit fentanyl pills Mm. and 13,000 pounds of fentanyl powder so when you really boil that down you're down to now looking at that's enough fentanyl that could kill every American and so yes it's it's certainly we all have to be invested because it's hurting all of Mississippians when those drugs are here in the Mississippi we're losing loved ones in our state. Last year, we lost 237 Mississippians to fentanyl alone. Um, so that's horrific. So we have to mm. continue to rally together. Again, that's one way that's harmful to us. Uh, kind of as part of the package on how we're responding in the Attorney General's office with all of our partners, um, we kicked off the One Pill Can Kill initiative across our state uh, to get everyone invested and be willing to stand up, talk about it, realize it's an issue, support our law enforcement Enforcement, bring all the partners together because if we can save one life, that's one Mississippian we were yeah. able to protect. But because it's coming from the border and it's in our state so very quickly. Well, I'm just curious: are are, are you and other attorney generals uh, in in contact and having discussions about possibly? Uh, some sort of action against the Biden administration. Absolutely. We have a number of lawsuits that we filed together. Um, most recently, we had a suit that was filed in Florida by um, General Moody. Mm-hmm. Um, again, t- protecting our border, talking about the consequences, how they're coming in very quickly, uh, doing it under federal law. And you saw the majority of the Republican AGs are filed with her, or we're filing amicus briefs. And we're winning. We're chipping away at it. It's mm-hmm. a slow process. We've got a number of cases that are also in Texas that were filed by uh, the Attorney General there. And again, you see Republican AGs being supportive, again, all across to help one another because you know, the the folks that are coming in are harming all of our respective states. Uh, You look at the crime that comes with it. You look at the human trafficking. uh, And then you add the drugs. And and it's just just puts us in a very tough position all the way around. And now we have uh, high-level members of the FBI warning about uh, possible terrorism uh, on our soil just because we don't know everybody that's crossing in. And and certainly there are some among those that aren't being vetted, aren't being properly processed, that probably are coming here with the intent on some sort of catastrophic harm uh, on our soil. In our within our borders, absolutely. I think that's their their mission is to do just that. Um, and it is scary to think that this administration, time and time again, is allowing all these people to come in unvetted. And think about it too, from the medical consequences. Yeah. You know, they've come in, they've not been tested, they've not had COVID shots. We don't know if they've had COVID. We don't know what other diseases they might bring forward. And um, and that get again gets into the medical responsiveness of all of our communities. Um, 
in our states. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully we'll do something about it because last week, as you probably know, we set a record with 12,000 crossing over uh, on a single day. And the next day it was 10,000. Uh, and there was a member of the, the uh, Obama cabinet that said it's, it's tough to deal with 1,000. Now we're dealing with 12,000. That was when he was uh, part of the Obama administration. So we're 10x that these days, which means we really aren't equipped to handle it. And um, I've been down yeah. there, Gerard, and you know, yeah. and, and I've seen it. Um, and you just see all those um, families, those individuals, they're being trafficked by the cartels. I mean, you can't come across that border unless you have paid monies to come across. Yeah. Um, so for every child, every person, the coyotes are taking them across. You can see the rafts where they float the children over, float the drugs over. Um, it's just a, a sad situation. It should have never been like this, and this administration has allowed it to get totally out of hand, all for their voting Right. Seem to be indifferent to it. And actually, they seem to be in support of it, best I can tell. So you talked about uh, some of the accomplishments legislatively that were driven by your office. What are you going to be working on in the next session? Well, the empowerment project, you know, we were so fortunate um, to champion the uh, Dobbs case. And with that came great responsibilities. And so certainly our state has been the leader again, embracing that. How would we empower women? How would we protect these children? What will we do again to lift them up and so the empowerment project was born and uh, we we have we're very fortunate that the legislature adopted a new program called the mama program Mm. i really like the mama (laughs) program Um, and it's uh, mississippi access to maternal assistance but we launched it off in october Um, the ag uh, office is the leader on that again with our partners and we're going to have a an app come out in january and so what it does is it allows you to just click on you can see all the resources in your particular area of your state if you're a young mother a young mother to be or you have children you need to know where to go and it's got all the resources already right there and it could be the public resources the um, private resources the faith-based you know different categories child care do you need food uh, what about supplies and resources diapers anything along those lines so it gives an individual a place to look to find the the specifics that they might need including a job and how to get upskilled so we're excited about that we we've seen that become very successful since we launched that off um, the legislature again i'm very grateful for all their actions they um passed some great legislation that gave tax credits for child care. Right. And again, that's an amazing that's just uh, a, such a wonderful thing to do to help out and, and get that and provide the child care credits. Uh, then they pass some extra um, credit, tax credits for adoption. Again, that's a big part of the empowerment project. How do we um, enhance our adoption system? How do we get these children into forever homes quickly, streamline that? Um, again, we don't need to leave these children dangling out there. We need to get them into forever homes where they're loved. They passed uh, the Foster Parents Bill of Rights. We were excited about that. Because, again, we love our foster parents, and we're so excited that they are willing to step in and do that. But this gives them the tools and the resources to understand how they should proceed with their foster children. So um, we're working to streamline that even more because, again, that's an issue that all of us have to embrace together on how we can get those children into those homes. You got to go. Can you hang around? I can hang around. Okay. We got Attorney General Lynn Fitch in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. <laughs>
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are in the Element Well studio. Attorney General Lynn Fitch is our guest. So, uh, General, tell us about these baby boxes. This is something that we've started to see uh, form up here in the state of Mississippi. You and I were just talking off the break. I think one is scheduled to be installed in nearby Gluckstadt here in, uh, in Madison County. Uh, tell us about that and one involvement your office may have in that, and, and um, I guess just from a statutory perspective, how does this work? Well, it's very exciting. That was another piece of legislation that's been kind of part of the empowerment project. Um, we Again, as after Dobbs was passed, we knew we needed to rise to the occasion and provide assistance any way that we possibly could. And baby boxes um, were being utilized across in other states. And it's a great opportunity to have a mother give that child to put it, place it in a baby box. No questions asked, anything along those lines to save that child. You know, horrifically, we hear too many times where we'll find a baby in the garbage dump or a baby left here or there. And so now they can take uh, this, this infant and put it in a baby box. And so these baby boxes are very specially designed. They can be at the fire stations. They could be at a number of places like that. And as soon as the baby is placed in there, alarms go off, uh, physicians, uh, emergency medical staff, or alert it, immediately go in and to get this child uh, and then get them to a uh, hospital and, again, being checked out. Um, again, we've seen it time and time again used across in other states, and it's been extremely successful. And, again, every time you do that and you get a little baby and you've saved a life. So there's one on the coast right now that's um, already Long Beach, opened think, at Long right? Beach. Yeah. Um, they've already had a great success story down there. We're so excited about the one in Gluckstadt opening. But they're very well done. Again, they take care. Everything is climate controlled. All the monitors, the bells, the whistles that look for this infant that's been placed in there. And then the response time is just immediate to get that baby out. They're commonly called boxes, but they're really medical grade like bassinets, uh, so to speak. And Child Protection Services is notified as well. Absolutely. So it is. It's like a a medically done incubator that takes care of this baby, just as if you'd see him at the hospital and everything, uh, with all the medical necessities, like I said, the oxygen levels, the heat control, uh, to take care of the, of the, this infant. But it's exciting. I'm exciting that across the many communities across our state have embraced that and now to have two up and going. And I think we'll see more across our state. Yeah. We've been talking a lot on the program, General, about uh, artificial intelligence and how it is so rapidly exploding across, the, uh, honestly, the entire societal landscape, private sector, public sector, uh, et cetera. And this is going to pose, I think, a lot of new problems and new challenges uh, for our lawmakers, for law enforcement, for our justice systems as well. Uh, you were telling me offline that you just attended a conference with other attorney generals, I believe, where, the, where this was the topic of discussion. Absolutely, because AI is going to hit every arena that you can imagine. 
like we were talking about earlier, certainly it's going, it's hitting our children and, and it's impacting them when you see the AI coming in and, um, overlaying images of children and faces mm-hmm. and the, the damages that it does, the mental, the emotional issues that then come because AI has been able to be utilized in such a criminal manner. So we, Definitely got to get ahead of it. We need stronger laws passed that will allow us to go in to prosecute, to go after these predators that are doing that to the children. Uh, we saw another case uh, where it wasn't just the AI, but it was a sex torsion case. We've got to really strengthen so we can go after, again, these criminals that are leveraging and taking advantage of our children. But, you know, AI is going to hit everything from business to, uh, as we were discussing earlier, all the political arenas, uh, the legal business. Business um, and as I was in this conference recently, we were talking about how it will again challenge all of us. We're going to have to have protective laws. We're going to have to have disclaimers, caveats, so people know that this is actually AI. Um, it will uh, affect businesses, deliverables. Again, if there's not some uh, type of caveat that you don't know that it's coming, this AI generated, uh, the legal business briefs might be written, and again, they're filed. Who's checking those? Again, yeah. so I think there are some tremendous ramifications. Yeah, but I, and, and as you and I were discussing, though, we got to get ahead of this and not get behind because it's coming so rapidly. And it, it's not waiting for our laws and our lawmakers uh, and, and our systems to accommodate. It, it's just going to be expected. And, and we got to get ahead of this and, and stay ahead of it. And I hope we do that as a state. And hopefully you'll encourage our lawmakers to do so. But the fact that a conference was held with your your peers in the other states tells me that, that somebody's thinking about it. They, they know this is coming. We do. We do. We take it very seriously because, again, we know how it's going to affect all of our states. And, yeah. again, this is a, uh, a nonpartisan issue. This right. AI is going to uh, really continue to peek into all of the different areas uh, in all of our states. And we've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared because, again, if you just pull back and look – AI is going to just go into every angle. And then when you really think about how the, it's going to go in and affect uh, our education system, our children, again, where do we draw the line? How do we go after those type of people? Um, and so it's going to be important, as you said, that we really have some strong legislation that comes out right off the bat. Um, I, I think, as you just said, we, we can't wait. We need to get ahead of it and, and not really study it, but know that it's there. We already are seeing how much it is affecting um, our state and our country. You've got some uh, efforts going on in your office uh, uh, as it relates to social media platforms. Explain that to us and what you're working on there. You know, George, we've been talking about these social media platforms and the harm that they do. Um, they want to not allow parental rights. They want to uh, allow these advertisers to come in. They have the algorithms that they track our children. They track us. They turn around and utilize that information and send it out to other respective companies or whatever the case might be. Well, we have to stop that. Um, so there have been a number of lawsuits that the AG's office has filed um, and we have done it in conjunction with a number of other AGs across the country because, again, it's out of control. We just recently filed against um, Meta and Instagram. Hmm. And, and, again, they don't want to allow the parental rights to go in and to see what their child's doing. They they don't want to allow the parents to monitor. Uh, they want to allow themselves to keep doing their algorithm algorithms and their opportunities to seize information and pull data about these kids. And, and again, quite honestly, for all of us. Mm-hmm. But 
But going into the children and not allowing the parents to have any rights is just inherently wrong. So for us, that's been a big push. We're going to come forward and ask the legislature to give us some strong legislation. So, again, we can pursue these companies. We can pursue them acting in a criminal manner, allowing this to happen and not allowing any recourse for parents. Okay, so this is really more about, uh, I guess, the, the, the scope of limiting uh, these platforms with respect to what they allow children to consume and access from a content perspective and allowing their parents to have some control over that uh, expressly embedded into the social media tools themselves. Is is that That's exactly right. Because, you know, we should make them accountable. They should verify the user's age. They should verify the data about the individual. Again, allowing the parent to be involved. And right now, that's not happening. And and they're pushing back. I mean, all these social media platforms uh, don't want to allow that to happen because it allows them to collect more data, to uh, extract information about um, these children and then utilize it. And that's just such an invasion of the privacy for these young children. Is is this something that... It's uh, gaining some steam nationally within uh, some of the states. Oh, absolutely. We're all working on this together. Um, we're, we filed these, some of these lawsuits together, and then many times we'll have a, um, one or two states take the lead, and then we'll all come back in and file an amicus brief, a friend of the court, so that we can, again, enhance the need, the urgency for this to stop and to disallow these companies to take advantage and leverage our children. Okay, gotcha. Um, we've talked a lot on the program about the plight of the public employees' retirement system, PERS. I, I've um, asked the question of um, everyone involved in, in lawmaking that's been on the show, what they think about that, what the plan is. Is there anything with respect to the Attorney General's office related to this issue? And one thing that I'll, I'll share with you that uh, was communicated to me by PERS is that if the state were to increase the employee's contribution rate, that it would have to commensurately increase benefits based on an old opinion, I don't remember how old, from the Attorney General's office. Is this something you you happen to be tracking at this point, or are you just kind of letting the PERS board and the legislature work through this? Well, I think it's important that they do that because they're going to have to take some steps, some legislation to address that. Um, We've certainly seen a decrease in the number of state employees and then benefits more. Um, We certainly look at it from a fiduciary status. You know, do we have the right people in there? Um, Certainly we don't want any of these different companies like BlackRock or whatever that are taking, again, advantage of the the funds that are in the PERS system. So, yes, we have been involved in that regard. I'm sure we'll be talking some more about that. I think the legislature is going to be taking a hard look at that situation. General, always good to see you, and thanks for coming in. Have a uh, Merry Christmas and a great New Year, and we'll talk some more later. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It is midday. Super Talk Mississippi. We thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, so a couple of people have asked about the um, the LPR, the license plate reader stuff. Um, we I've seen opinion on that, Chris. Chris wanted to ask about that, and uh, we have opinion on that. Uh, using LPR to to uh, issue uh, ticket citations for failure to have insurance uh, is is legal. Uh, the there is a case, however that's going to be argued that uh, asserts, the plaintiff at least does, that it's not. So that's going to have to play out in the court. And uh, likely what you'll see is you know, some decision on that. But license plate reader technology has been in use in the state for 23, 4 years. Yeah. I, I think I... I shared the other day that pretty sure we were the first to bring it into the state, my company, and, and it was LPRs that were installed on the rooftops of of uh, law enforcement vehicles, cruisers. And as I recall, the original purpose that uh, it, they were being used for was to read license plates and identify uh, those who had outstanding warrants that just had not Warrants and Amber Alert. You know, a lot yeah, of times with an Amber exactly Alert, right. you'll have a card and you'll have a license plate number. Well, they're, they're scanning that. That's exactly right. So, you know, the bigger problem to me is why don't people, um, why don't people just do what they're supposed to do? Is get insured? We have a very high rate of of uh, drivers, motorists, vehicles that don't have insurance. It's uh, Estimated to be around 30%. We have people that will get a ticket just in a routine traffic stop. You know, that's one of the things I ask you. Let me have your driver's license and your proof of insurance. If you don't have that proof of insurance, you get ticketed for that. Um, Most report that if you go buy insurance and you go show that to the judge before you're or at or on your court date, that uh, often the ticket will be forgiven, will be canceled. But a lot of folks do that, and uh, they'll buy the sort of minimum six months of insurance, and then they'll cancel the insurance. So, uh, or not you, pay. Or, yeah, or not pay. Right. So they get through that. Now, you're not supposed to get proof of insurance from the insurer anymore unless you have paid. Uh, It depends on the customer, of course, and it depends on the insurance company. But in general, that's the requirement uh, in order to get a car. But you're right. A lot of times they'll just bill you. And um, I'm not sure, though. I don't think they'll issue a card anymore unless you've actually paid it. Uh, And, again, I think that depends on the the customer and the arrangement you have with the insurer. Some require that, again, depending on the situation, require you to pay it up front. Some will allow you to be billed quarterly, monthly, annually, what have you. But that uh, that's an issue. So nearly, what did you say, 29% it's estimated? 29.4% was the data that I saw, which uh, I think is probably fairly reliable, uh, certainly when you look at Cities that have implemented these systems, uh, they found that a large number of people 
went and got insurance. I mean, the data shows that because the insurance companies are required to provide that data, furnish that data. And uh, I believe the Department of Revenue is who receives it. But it, it's a problem. Um, you know, I think I've shared last week, uh, I was involved in an accident, hit uh, from the uh, the rear, my rear of my vehicle, impacted by a high school student in, uh, in a truck that did not have insurance. And, of course, my uninsured motorist coverage paid it, but I still had a fairly high deductible, and I had to eat that out of pocket. And, you know, you really don't have a lot of recourse. I mean, you could go file a lawsuit, but they and their family don't have any money to pay anything like that. You just end up eating it. I think that we would see our insurance moderate somewhat if we could uh, get more universal or towards more universal coverage certainly increase the percentage of drivers and vehicles which are covered. Because right now the insurance companies, and in my situation there, my insurance company had to pay out to repair my car because the driver who was at fault didn't have any insurance. I mean, that's what you pay the premium for. I get it, the uninsured motorist premium. But if, uh, if, if more folks had insurance... I think that would have a tendency to moderate that. Certainly you could argue that, and it's something that, because it is a regulated industry, we could have a discussion with our our um, our insurance commissioner about the rating and so forth as it pertains to that. Moe says, Gerard, it's crazy how many people wrongly think they have a right to privacy in public. I mean, the fact is, we have been, we as a society, have been out installing video surveillance technology really across the country, across the globe. We're, we're headed to a point where, when you consider all this high-powered, sophisticated technology available uh, over our heads from satellites and so forth, and then the, the locally installed video surveillance that every inch on the planet that has a sky above it, not a roof, and even some that have roofs are going to be under video surveillance. I believe in the city of Madison, there is a an ordinance that requires uh, companies, uh, businesses that operate inside the city limits have to install video surveillance. I, th- I think that's an ordinance, and, and it's it is uh, based on the feeling that having video surveillance is not only a deterrent to crime, but it certainly is an essential and valuable tool in solving crime. Absolutely. I don't see how anybody could deny that. I mean, that's one of the first things you look at. Ha- I got having... five cameras at my house. Yeah, me too. Uh, and it's inexpensive, and it works these days. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's all come a long way. And, of course, you you know as well as I do, you can look at it right here on your phone, right? So, I mean, you can stay constantly in touch. And different systems have have uh, notification capability where if they see something in the field of view that looks suspicious, it'll let you know, all kinds of stuff. So, gosh, how, how many reports have we seen of just the doorbell cameras that have captured some sort of Absolutely. wrongdoing? Tons of it. Constantly. And, of course, that's private residence. I get that. But to, to Moses' uh, point, you know, out there in public, when you're 
driving along our, our public roadways, having uh, cameras that are, are watching those and viewing the traffic and scanning license plates to to see if you're in violation of some law, I think is uh, is something that certainly most states allow. I think we're one of only a handful of states that don't allow the technology to be used to issue speeding and traffic signal violation tickets. One, one of only a few. I know nearby Tennessee does. I've personally gotten one. It's been about 20 years. So if you're driving over the speed limit and there's no cops around, but you pass a camera, takes a picture of your license, and yep, mails you a, a, a ticket. That's right. I first saw this in Arizona. Now, back then, it was a police vehicle that actually had the LPR reader installed on he, it. He was just sitting there scanning people. Yeah, never. So you weren't getting... You know, you'd say, oh, my gosh, there's a you know, there's a cop. You come up on a hill or something like that. They're kind of shielded. He puts you blue lights know. on, pulls you over. Yeah, but that didn't happen. It's just, boom, here's a picture, and, and a couple of weeks later, here's a here's a ticket. In probably, I mean, I guess it's more efficient to do it that way. Way more efficient. Absolutely. Way more efficient, especially when you consider that we don't have enough people to, to staff up to uh, to enforce our laws and patrol our roads and I'd, I'd rather law enforcement, in, in terms of uh, the human aspect of that, I'd rather them work on more serious crimes Yeah, um, and, and focus their resources on that rather than out driving the streets and pulling people over for doing 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. So it's just an allocation of resources thing. But, yeah, I think that's where it's all going. Paula Meridian says, what if you weren't? The driver. I'm not sure exactly what, but the insurance covers the vehicle, Paul. So it just it sends a, a ticket to insurance the insurance. Uh, something I learned: insurance it, it it travels with the car. That's right. So. Exactly. The plate is associated with the the car. Insurance is on the vehicle. So coming right back with the final segment of middays. It's Monday, so Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews is on at 12:05. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Def Leppard bumping us into the final segment on this Monday of Middays. Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors, up next on the C Spire text line. If you already have insurance and you wrongfully get a ticket under this, can that person sue or get compensated for the time and or money they had to spend to prove it? You can sue anybody for anything you want. I doubt you'd get any remuneration from that, and it would cost you more money to file a lawsuit, honestly, uh, as a plaintiff, uh, than you would likely recover. 
and then you get in all kinds of complicated deliberations on how much your time's worth and all that sort of stuff. You'd end up having to show the world what your salary is and have to put some uh, assign some value to that. But yeah, you you certainly could. I mean, it's a good point. I would say that that's highly improbable, honestly. Those systems have been around a while. They're pretty solid. I'm not saying it it's, it would never happen. That would be a mistake to suggest that. Uh, but it, it's probably highly unlikely. Um, do I buy a tag or do I get my heart med? Which one? Well, uh, I hear you. All I can say is that's my response to that would be to take the, that up with your your representative, or your senator, that uh, you would like to uh, repeal the law in Mississippi that's been around like since early two thousands, I think, that requires uh, a, a, a driver to have uh, at least minimum liability insurance. That's the law in the state of Mississippi. So I. I don't know how to answer that question um, because it. The, I believe you ought to have to comply with the law. Let's just put it that way. Uh, if, and if you're driving, you should have insurance. Yeah, and it, so it's you know you. Um, it's a driving is a privilege. It's not a right. And so for the privilege of driving, you have to have insurance. That's, there are requirements that you have to meet yeah, to do that. That's the law. You are correct. If you go by the insurance, the fine is typically waived. However, the assessments, which are almost as much as the fine, are still collected. Well, that's from Dave in Monticello. I've heard the opposite, Dave. I've heard people say that if they uh, – because I, I know this situation happens kind of regularly. You get stopped. You have insurance, but you don't have that piece of paper. And now most insurance companies uh, provide apps. That you can easily, and I don't know anybody, honestly, will anymore, doesn't have a smartphone. I can't imagine anybody drives that doesn't have a smartphone. So if you have a smartphone, you have insurance, you download the app, you could uh, prove your, that you're covered by just showing the insurance card in digital form in the app. Mine does. I mean, that's common. All yeah. of them have it these days. But if for some reason you can't, you don't, uh, I, I'm told that officers will tell you, okay, if you have it, but you don't have it with you, if you just bring that by, they'll cancel the ticket for that. Have you heard that? I've heard that. I've had that happen to me. Okay. Well, there you go. When I first moved to Ridgeland, I got an expired tag ticket, and the judge dismissed when I brought proof that I had renewed it. So even though I messed up city of leniency because I took measures to correct my negligent action. Well, there you go. It's a different matter. It's related to a tag as opposed to insurance. But I've heard the same thing, Mm -hmm. exact same thing. A lot of people get insurance for just a month, and that's Ricky in Aberdeen. That's one of the issues, Ricky, is that you go get insurance. You say, here, judge, I got my insurance. Okay, we'll tear your ticket up. And then after that, they'll cancel it, um, and they're no longer insured again. So it seems like we ought to have some efficient way of identifying those people who are essentially gaming the system and not in compliance with the law. Hawaii has what's called no-fault insurance. Your insurance pays for your vehicle, medical bills, liability, and such. If a person did not have insurance, they would be the one to suffer the loss, except they don't have any assets, Mose, and that's the problem. Twice I had to eat a deductible because of someone with no insurance. It's unbelievable how many people drive without insurance in the state. Barry from Collins. That's exactly what happened to me, Barry. It was about 2001 when it occurred. 
and it was expensive. I think my deductible was like 2500 bucks. Same deal. Video surveillance. Even when deer hunting, says Jeff in Forest County, you have to be careful if you take a whiz because of your wildlife cameras. I gave the cameras the middle <laughs> finger on the ceasefire tax line. <laughs> Tupelo has at least two tag reader cams on Highway 45 at Mud Creek Bridge, 1NB, 1SB. Neil from Pontotoc. And you can definitely tell at the red lights by the number of people that constantly run them. It's fine if you're doing something wrong, but... Why got to do it be looking for something? Well, because we don't have enough people to catch all the folks. I mean, when you consider 30% of our drivers are uninsured, we'd have to quadruple the number of law enforcement officers just to catch the people that don't have insurance. And they generally don't pull you over for just nothing, right? There's usually got to be a cause, and that's the only way you find out about it. Also, the officer isn't walking up to a vehicle with no telling who's inside. That's a good point. That would be Herschel and Laurel. We're out of here today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. We are tomorrow at Mississippi Blood Services. Until then, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.